Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. We are going to pray, but I'll wait for all the chairs, uh, noisy chairs. That's good. All right, all right, let's pray, let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for a morning like this morning where we can uh, celebrate, Lord, and worship you as we do every Sunday morning and also uh, uh, celebrate with one another and enjoy uh, this this family that you've given to us. And so, Lord, uh, we ask that as we look at your word, Um, as it is preached and as it is heard and as it is received, that you would work mightily through it, uh, that you would uh, not allow me to get in the way, God, of what you are trying to communicate to us. And Lord, we ask that you would speak and that you would give us ears to listen and hearts to receive. And we ask uh, that you would um, bless, uh, Lord, the preaching of your word. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church. Well, if you have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to have some of these texts up on the screen as well. So it's okay if you don't have a Bible with you. Um, But uh, we'd always encourage you to grab one or bring one uh, when you can. As you are turning there, it's going to be Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. As you're turning there, I want to share something about me with you uh, that some of you know, and but many of you probably don't know this about me, and uh, that is that I startle very easily. Okay, I startle very easily, and this is something that I inherited from my mom, and uh, it was always fun growing up as a kid to try to get my mom uh, to be scared or to startle, and so uh, my sister used to like hide me in the dirty clothes. She would like pile laundry on top of me, and I would just wait there, you know, wait till mom, it was time for mom to do laundry, and then I would pop out and like say, surprise, and she would startle really bad. She would startle so badly then that it would startle and scare me or dad. And, uh, and, and it was a lot of fun. It was fun though. It was fun until, until mom started uh, returning the favor, right? Until she started kind of trying to, you know, getting, getting us back a little bit. And, uh, and so Betsy and I would be kind of scared to go, you know, walk around the house, like where's mom at? She's going to jump out at us. Uh, and so I, I startle really badly and it's, 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 uh, inherited from my mom. And, but, but some of the most recent startles that I have had, uh, have been 
at, at home. And uh, typically, I, I write most of the sermons and work on church stuff from home. And so uh, I'll be working on it. I'll be in deep concentration. I'll be in study mode. And, and because I write sermons from home and because we have uh, four wonderful boys, uh, this means that I have to get some like noise-canceling headphones, right? And so I've got headphones in with some instrumental music going. I'm locked in. I've got my back to the door of the office, and I'm in study mode. And then all of a sudden I turn and there's Jackson or there's Jamin like standing right next to me, right? And I'll startle really bad and it'll, it'll scare them. And, and uh, usually because I get startled really bad, I get a little upset at first. And then, and then I have to apologize for that. And uh, typically it's them coming to, to get me, telling me it's time for dinner. Uh, but now Jackson and Jamin are not wanting to be the ones to come tell me it's time for dinner. Uh, they're they're kind of wising up. They know that I'm going to jump and startle really badly. So uh, now they're probably going to start sending Jordy or uh, one of the younger ones, uh, they don't know any better. Hey, go tell dad it's time uh, for dinner. Uh, but, but listen, the, the reason that I startle and the reason that I freak out in that moment in my office studying, not knowing the boys are right there, uh, the reason that I startle is because I'm unaware that someone else is in the room right? I mean, I'm, I'm locked in. I'm just assuming I'm the only one in the room. Uh, I, I think it's, it's just all me by myself studying and writing. And then I startle because I'm unaware that someone else is in the room. I thought I was all alone. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see Joseph He's going to be fearful and he's going to be distraught to take Mary as his wife because he's not aware of God's presence in the room. He's not aware of God's presence in the situation. And, and isn't this what causes us to be anxious? And isn't this what causes us to be distraught and to be fearful? Us being unaware that God is in the room. Us being unaware that God is present in the situation and the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And yet, one of the beautiful things that we celebrate at Christmas time, as we look at the birth of Jesus, we look and see that God has come near. God has come near. Jesus has first come to save us from our sins so that God could be with us. Jesus has made a way for God and humanity to once again dwell in the same room. Look with me now at Matthew 1, verse 18. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay, first, Mary and Joseph, they are betrothed, okay? They are betrothed, which is sort of like how we think of being engaged, but it is much more serious and is much more legally binding uh, thing, okay? In that time and in that culture, typically a man and woman whose parents would be involved in arranging this, and, and I say man or woman, but really a young man or a young woman, typically a teenager, right? A young teenager, uh, uh, their parents get involved and kind of arrange this marriage, and a young 
young teenager, uh, uh, they, they enter into what's called a betrothal, right? So Mary and Joseph, they're young teenagers, and they enter into this betrothal. But before they would become officially ma- married, typically there was about a year process there of the betrothal period. Uh, and at the end of the betrothal period was when they would come together and consummate the marriage and when they would live together. But betrothal, it was much more legally binding than what we think of as being engaged, okay? Because for us, uh, for an engagement to be broken, uh, essentially all it includes is you getting rid of a ring and, uh, and then maybe changing your status on Facebook, right? And then it's official, right? The engagement is over. But, but a betrothal uh, had to be ended in divorce, okay? So it was legally binding. And Matthew tells us, that before Mary and Joseph, Joseph, excuse me, came together physically, all right, before that happens, Mary becomes pregnant. And you can imagine the trouble that this would cause, right? For Mary and for Joseph. Look, look at verse 19, Matthew 1, verse 19. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay, Joseph, right, knows that he has not been physically intimate with Mary, and yet she has become pregnant. And so there's some unfaithfulness that is assumed here, right? Uh, I, I mean, but, but think how distraught Mary would have been, knowing that she had been faithful to Joseph, and yet, and yet the whole being a virgin and being pregnant is kind of a difficult thing to explain, right, to your fiancé. This would have been very difficult for Mary. But, but also think about how Joseph is feeling right now, too. He's probably hurting. He's probably feeling betrayed. I'm sure he's even got some jealous kind of anger stirring up in his heart. And if Joseph wanted to make Mary really pay for this, he totally could have, right? Uh, according to their laws, uh, someone who was unfaithful during a betrothal uh, could have under the law been stoned to death. And at the very least, Joseph could have made a public spectacle of Mary and shamed her for this. But that's not his desire. He's hurting, he's distraught, he's fearful, but he's unwilling to put her to shame, and he decides that he will divorce her quietly. Look back at verse 20, Matthew 1, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. An angel, a messenger from God, right, appears to Joseph and says, Fear not, Joseph. Fear not. You were unaware of God's presence in this situation, but open your eyes, Joseph, and see that God is present. This, this virgin birth, this, this miraculous conception, it was pro- prophesied by Isaiah hundreds of years ago that a virgin would conceive and have a son. 
And this son is to be named Jesus. He's, he's the one that we've been waiting for ever since God promised Adam and Eve that a descendant of theirs would come to crush the serpent's head and to make a way for humanity to enter back into the presence of God. And the angel tells Joseph, uh, he tells Joseph what this child will do and who this child will be. The angel says, first, what will he do? He says, he will save his people from their sins. And who will he be? He will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. What will he do? He will save his people from their sins. And who will he be? He will be God with us. God with us. Look back at verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay, Joseph goes from fearful and distraught to obeying what this messenger of God told him to do. And what happened in between? He goes, right, he's fearful, distraught, he's anxious. He goes to obeying this messenger of God. What happened in between? Did the circumstances change at all? Like, did the small town that they lived in, who I'm sure everyone was kind of like gossiping about them behind their backs or even maybe to their face, right? Did the small town all get a memo from God explaining that this pregnancy was of the Lord? No. Did, did any of the other circumstances change? No. Did Mary become unpregnant all of a sudden? No. None of the circumstances changed. What changed was Joseph became aware of God's presence in this situation. He became aware that God was with him. Emmanuel, God with us. You see, many of us believe the lie that the solution to our anxiety and the solution to our fear is for our circumstances to change. Like if only I had a different job, or if only this bill got paid, or if only this conflict got resolved, or if only this illness was healed, then I wouldn't be anxious, and then I wouldn't be fearful. And listen, a change of circumstance it certainly can alleviate some of that situational anxiety and fear. It certainly can. But I've lived long enough to know that, yes, a change of circumstance might temporarily resolve my anxiety about a specific thing, but I will quickly find something else to be anxious and fearful about. The ultimate solution to our anxiety and fear is not a change of circumstance. But instead, it is us growing in our awareness of God's presence in our lives. You are fearful because you aren't aware that someone else is in the room. Sure, you, and this is something I think that we all know in our heads, right? I think this is something that we all kind of intellectually know, that God is omnipresent and that for followers of Jesus, his spirit now dwells inside of us. And so you might know this, you might intellectually know this, but we don't always believe it. And we don't always trust it and we don't always rest in it. 
And yet, what will Jesus do? He will save his people from their sins. And who will he be? He will be God with us. God with us. Well, maybe you're thinking, well, hey, that's, that's Mary and Joseph. Obviously, God's going to be with them, right? I mean, Mary's the mother of Jesus. Joseph is going to be the adopted father of Jesus. Like, of course, God is with them. They're important. I'm just not sure if he's with me. And there was a monk who lived in the 17th century named Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence wrote a collection of letters that has been put together in a book that is well known, and it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence, he was a cook and he was a dishwasher in a monastery. All right. So not not a job that really would seem that important to us, not a position that would seem that prestigious to us. But the reason that there are so many people that are familiar with with Brother Lawrence is because the way he lived was revolutionary. You see, he was intentional to live in the reality and with the awareness that God was with him, that God is with us. He was intentional to keep his mind set on beholding God at all times. He was intentional at developing this silent and secret conversation with the Lord all throughout the day because he knew that the Lord was with him. And you see, Brother Lawrence understood that even the menial tasks of life, even in the mundane, Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, even in the mundane, the presence of God and the joy of the Lord could be experienced at any time. You see, he knew firsthand that Psalm 16, verse 11 was true. And we'll have Psalm 16, verse 11 up on the screens, which says, You make known to me the path of life in your presence There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's the the secret to why as followers of Jesus, we can pursue a deep joy, even in the midst of suffering and hardship. It's because all the circumstances of your life, the difficult circumstances and the comfortable circumstances, the the, the painful and the refreshing, the prestigious and the the menial, uh, whatever your circumstances are, we know that it's not ultimately your circumstances that will lead to fullness of joy. It's the presence of God that will lead to fullness of joy. And the presence of God, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, because Jesus has saved us from our sins, which our sin had separated us from God, once salvation had been accomplished by Jesus, and once salvation has been applied by the Spirit in the life of a believer, once that happens, the presence of God can be enjoyed in all circumstances. The question is, are we aware of His presence? And if not, are we training ourselves to become more aware of his presence? Christmas proclaims to us that Christ, that in Christ, God is with us. And that is good news because it is in his presence that there is fullness of joy. 
So go try harder to be more aware of his presence. Is that what I'm saying? Am I right? I, I, maybe some of you don't know me that well yet. That's not what I'm saying, all right? I'm not saying go try harder to be more aware of his presence. Pull up the bootstraps, right? And really let's hunker down. And in 20, the year 2020, right? We're really going to just try our hardest to be more aware of his presence. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying just go try harder. But I'm also not saying keep living the same way you've always been living and hope that someday this presence of God thing is going to finally click. And Pastor John Ortberg, he was once quoted as saying this, which I think it's a helpful quote for us to distinguish uh, trying from the biblical concept of training. Okay, I think it's important we differentiate those two. A lot of times we go and we just try harder and yet there is a biblical concept called training or working out your salvation. And we'll have these definitions up on the screen. He writes, trying is focused on applying our own limited power. Right? It's us going and just, just kind of trying in our own strength to be better people and to be more aware of God's presence and trying to do more good things and trying to be like Jesus. But he differentiates it from spiritual training. He says spiritual training is focused on gaining skill in living life by God's power. Trying is focused on applying our own limited power. Spiritual training is focused on gaining skill in living life by God's power. And it's been said by many people that living the Christian life is an impossible thing to do unless Christ lives it through us. Living the Christian life is an impossible thing to do unless Christ lives it through us. And this is what Paul was getting at when he wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he writes, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says following Jesus and living the Christian life, so to speak, is not a life lived by trying harder in our own power to be like Jesus. No, following Jesus is all about growing in our ability and training ourselves to allow Christ to live through us. Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, in Philippians 2, verse 12, he writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, here, here it is. Here's what we need to look at. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now we hear that and we're like, yes, all right, something we can go try to do, right? Let's go out and let's try harder to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But we can't forget what verse 13 says. Verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who's working in us. My question for you is, are you trying or are you training? Well, how do we practically do this? 
Let's, we're going to get really practical here. How do we go from knowing that because of Jesus, that God is with us, how do we go from knowing that to actually experiencing that, actually believing that, actually being aware of that? How do we practically train ourselves in that? And there are many, many ways to do this. And really over the next year, we as a church, we're going to be more intentional with some of these spiritual practices together. Uh, some people call these uh, spiritual disciplines. Some people call these soul training exercises. Some people call these habits of grace. And there are other names out there, uh, I'm sure, as well. But one habit of grace that I would commend to you to grow in your awareness of the presence of God, in addition to regular Bible reading and prayer, I would commend to you the practice of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. To intentionally take time to be still and know that He is God. And not only that He is God, but that He is a God who is with us, right? That He's with us. So for me, what does this practically look like? This looks like me grabbing a cup of coffee, okay? It looks like me sitting down, reading a psalm, and then usually setting a timer on my phone, maybe like a 10-minute timer, and just closing my eyes and just being and enjoying the Lord. Okay, now for, for some of you, this might be something really easy to do. For some, this is going to be really difficult. And what I find is helpful is to have a notebook next to me, because you'll find when you try to be still before the Lord, what will happen is uh, all the, the today's uh, to-do list will start running through your brain. Like, oh, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I don't want to forget this. And your mind will just go 100 miles per hour. And so I like to have a notebook next to me that I can just write down, okay, I need to do this, I need to do this. That way I can not think about it, and I can just, you know, know that I will handle it later that day, and I can come back to just being still before the Lord. But even then, my mind will wander to other things, and that's why I've got my Bible open. I'll come back to a psalm, and I'll read a verse, and I'll meditate on the verse, and I'll reflect on a verse. Or I might have a simple prayer that I, that I come back to that kind of helps me refocus and realign my heart and my mind. It might be a simple prayer like, like, Father, I belong to you. Father, I belong to you. It might be a simple prayer like, Lord, you are my shepherd. Lord, you are my shepherd. It might be something like, speak, O Lord, your son is listening. And I started doing this 10 minutes in the morning and I found that it was so good for my soul and I loved it so much that, that I'm trying to do it for longer and longer times uh, throughout the day. I'm trying to do it at lunch break or at the hospital. I'm trying to do it before I come home between 5 and 6 at night. And I'm trying to have more extended times of silence and solitude with the Lord. It's been transformative for me. It's been such a good reminder for me that God is with us. It's helped me train myself to be more aware of God's presence. And so I'd encourage you to, to try this as well. Maybe you can't do 10 minutes. Maybe you have to start with five. For those that stay home with young kids, I'm sure you can find a good enough hiding spot that your kids won't find you like for five minutes, right? That you can just be still and enjoy silence with the Lord. 
But listen, let me clarify something as we talk through some of these habits of grace, uh, because I think when we talk about any sort of spiritual disciplines, uh, the alarm goes off inside of us of this, like, I don't want to be a legalist about this, right? Uh, there was, uh, as we, we've, we've, uh, us that are kind of in the gospel-centered camp, right? We've swung the pendulum away from this legalism or this kind of rigid, like, I do this to be right with God. Uh, that's, that's not at all what I'm talking about. Listen, we do not practice these habits of grace in order to pursue righteousness. We don't. Okay, so we have to clarify that. We do not practice them in order to pursue righteousness. No, we know that Jesus came, right? He was born as a baby. He lived the perfect life of obedience we failed to live. And when he died on the cross, he took our sins and he gave us his righteousness. And so now our right standing before God, our justification before God is not anything that we have done. It's all by grace through faith, but it is because of Christ's righteousness given to to us that we can stand right with God. And so we do not practice these things to earn a right standing with God. We don't do it to pursue our righteousness that has been given to us by Christ. But no, we pursue these habits of grace, not in a pursuit of righteousness, but in a pursuit of joy in the Lord. We don't do it to pursue a right standing with God, but we do do these things to pursue joy in the Lord. And so I want to come alongside you and encourage you in some of these habits of grace so that your joy in the Lord might be full. To become more aware of his presence with us is such a beautiful thing because we know that it is in his presence where there is fullness of joy to be found. The birth of Jesus is a declaration that God is with us. And, and it's almost like Jesus knew his disciples and us were going to forget this. And so after his resurrection, uh, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he gives his disciples what we've called the Great Commission, right? And many of you are uh, familiar with this. It's found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we read that and we're like, yes, like go make disciples, right? We're going to go try to go make disciples, but we will fail in our efforts to make disciples if we don't first also remember what he follows it with. He says, and Jesus said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We like to go try to make disciples before training ourselves to live with the awareness that Jesus is with us always. Jesus said, I am with you always. And I'll I'll close with this. Uh, I realize we have lots of good aromas going on in the room. I will not keep, uh, keep going too long. But one of my favorite moments in the Chronicles of Narnia series, it comes in uh, the third book, uh, which is called The Horse and His Boy. 
And I apologize uh, for so many Chronicles of Narnia illustrations, uh, but it's either that or Paw Patrol. That's kind of the world I live in right now. So I find the Paw Patrol illustrations just feel forced. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis is a lot more helpful. And so uh, the third book in the Narnia series is called A Horse and His Boy. And if you have not read it, it's about a horse and his boy. And, uh, and the boy's name is Shasta, uh, who is an orphan, and he is taken in by a fisherman who does not treat him well. And once he is grown, he plans to sell him into slavery. And so Shasta steals a horse named Bree, and they decide to run away and head north to Narnia. But all along the way, they encounter a bunch of trouble and danger, and really what could be described as a series of unfortunate events, like things just keep happening in his life that just seem like so awful. Like, why could this happen? I mean, first, just think as a baby, right? He gets picked up by a fisherman who sort of rescues him out of the river, Moses style. He's like floating and this fisherman takes him, but then the fisherman's not good to him and he's going to sell him. Uh, and then when Shasta escapes, he gets chased by lions. Uh, he's like always getting chased by lions or different cats or, or different wild animals. Uh, at one point, he's having to sleep in a dangerous place and there's jackals all around him. There's wild animals threatening him. And then even towards the end of the story, a lion shows up again and like chases him again. And he's like, oh my goodness, like I can't believe I keep getting chased by lions and cats and all these wild animals. It seems like just a series of unfortunate things that are happening in his life. But then towards the end of the book, Shasta gets to talk to Aslan right, which is C.S. Lewis's sort of Christ-like figure who is a lion. And this is the best part of the book. Aslan speaks to Shasta, and he explains all of these unfortunate events. And Aslan says, I was the lion who forced you to join with Aravis. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses new, new strength of fear for the last mile so that you could reach King Loon in time. I was the lion who you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near death so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. Shasta was fearful. He was anxious. He was distraught. He was confused about the circumstances of his life until he became aware of Aslan's presence. And church, we will continue to be fearful, anxious, distraught, and confused until we grow in our awareness that God is with us. The ultimate solution to your anxiety and fear is not a change of circumstance, but instead it is a growing in your awareness of God's presence. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, and he will be God with us. Let's pray.